Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 235 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, PT, and today we're going to be talking about a meniscus tear evaluation and the five most common signs and symptoms of a meniscus tear. We'll be going over the mechanism of injury post-injury presentation of a meniscus tear, the signs and symptoms of a meniscus tear, treatment considerations, and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. Harnessing the power of technology to help you advance your career and improve patient outcomes, MedBridge delivers over 2,000 evidence-based CE courses and more than 7,000 specialized patient exercises available whenever you need them from wherever you are. MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading the space. From interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first-ever HEP patient mobile app, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, and those they serve. For a limited time, use promo code OEP to receive $175 off your annual subscription. Uh, welcome back, everyone. So today we're going to be talking about meniscus tears. And first of all, you know, the knee is a box of tricks. There are so many things that can be going on in the knee in regards to different diagnoses, different structures that are injured. But today we're going to talk about kind of like the classic meniscus tear presentation and um, what that looks like, how it presents, and then kind of what do we want to do with it after um, it occurs. So typically, the most common mechanism is some sort of a twisting and pivoting type of, um, you know, posturing or position, a change of direction. Usually, it is with weight bearing and the foot is planted. So there's some sort of a, a twist type mechanism there. Um, some people can tear their menisci, you know, going into hyperextension also and jamming up the anterior horns with a little rotation. And even if they go into hyperflexion, um, they can do the same thing just on the posterior side. So um, that mechanism, though, typically is more of a twisting and pivoting type of problem with a uh, with a weight bearing type mechanism. Now, once the meniscus tears, it's almost always going to cause some pain you're going to have this sense of instability. And I say sense of instability. There are different reasons why people feel unstable. And one of them is pain. Okay, you can have frank instability because of a ligamentous injury. Um, remember that the meniscus is a secondary stabilizer in the knee. So it does offer a sense of, you know, some stability. And so they can feel like, oh, the leg kind of buckled a little bit. And the first thing as a therapist or medical provider you think of is ACL tear or PCL tear, you know, MCL tear something um, in the ligamentous department and oftentimes there is a snap or a pop uh, when you tear the meniscus now here's the interesting thing we talk about how avascular the meniscus is but they almost 
always cause an effusion because remember the menisci are intra-articular and so if they bleed a little bit uh, and have some irritation inflammation it swells and that causes an effusion which will then usually present with a positive brush test and I do have a video to show a very positive brush test um, and then the knee will also feel warm. So when I first approached a patient, I asked, I do a whole subjective history, basically how it happened. Did they ever have a knee injury in the past and whatnot? And then I kind of gather that information. Then I'll start off with, I just want to feel your knees just to see if uh, one is any warmer than the other. And typically that knee that has, um, you know, a little intra-articular effusion will also have some synovitis associated with that, which will make the knee feel warm. So I always compare one knee to the other. I then will ask the patient to actively move the knee, so flex it and extend it. We take a look to see if there's any pain at the end range. I'll then give a little passive overpressure. Um, people with meniscus tears, especially anterior horns, will have more discomfort with a passive hyperextension of the knee. And then people with posterior horns will have more uh, discomfort with the end range of flexion. I'll then ask the patient to put a finger on it. And... If it is a meniscus tear, they will commonly, you know, point to the medial or lateral joint line region or aspect of the knee. So they'll say it's kind of in this area. Oftentimes they can't really isolate where it's coming from, but they'll kind of point to the medial or lateral side of the knee. Now, there are other structures, okay? So don't forget these surrounding structures that can cause pain in those areas. So on the medial meniscal side, you have that MCL that crosses right over the joint line. There's a meniscotibial ligament right there. We have the medial hamstrings uh, that can come right across that medial joint line and attach at the pezanserine region. You can um, have a medial retinacular plica that can be thickened and inflamed and look just like a meniscus tear, present itself kind of in the same area. And then um, you can have a medial patellofemoral joint pain, uh, which can offer pain toward the medial joint line. And then your medial capsule, which is usually damaged with some sort of a traumatic blow to the lateral side of the knee. Now, if we're looking at the lateral meniscus and some of the copycats out there, um, we have the lateral hamstrings, that has some fibrous attachment uh, to the lateral meniscus. We have the iliotibial band, the LCL, the popliteus, which we just recently did a podcast on, uh, which can very much look like a, a meniscus tear. We also uh, have lateral patellofemoral joint issues that can cause lateral knee pain. And then also uh, proximal fibular uh, injuries can present themselves uh, like a lateral knee you know, problem or lateral meniscus issue. Now, the next thing I like to do here is a McMurray's slash modified meniscal grind test. Um, what I like to do is place the knee in varus or valgus and passively flex and extend them. So if I place them in varus and flex and extend them, we're compressing the medial meniscal tissue. And we're looking for, you know, a pop with that, a pop, a snap, crack. Uh, and, then, and then people will also complain of pain with it. Now, if it's just a little bit of crepitus and there's no pain associated with it, and it's not a very definitive pop, I don't usually worry about that too much. I go and compare it to the other side. Oftentimes, they'll have that same presentation. But if there is a definitive click or pop with pain, then I kind of, you know, hone in on that just a little bit more. And I've had a very high success you know, rate with identifying meniscal tears by doing this test kind of in this modified fashion. So it's worked really well for me. Uh, and I do have a video 
with a patient who has a meniscus tear and I demonstrate how to, how I do this test. So please feel free to click on that link in the show notes. And, um, I do a full front to back evaluation of this patient top to bottom. And, um, and, uh, you can take a look at how I like to evaluate the knee and uh, what the presentation is like. I then like to palpate. So, um, to be honest with you, I really find palpation to be one of the most helpful tools in identifying a meniscus tear. So I really need to, you know, try to find that joint line. I always go to the tibial tubercle. I find the patella tendon. I palpate those areas first to kind of rule that out. And then I find that tibial plateau and I work myself medially. And as I go medially along that plateau, I continue posteriorly also along the plateau. And I'll do the same thing on the lateral side. So I'll go just lateral to the patella tendon identify that joint line and kind of work my way posteriorly. So um, I think that is very important because if you are not palpating the correct area, um, you know, you're going to have some issues identifying the meniscus tear. Uh, So it's very important that you identify that. The other thing you might notice as you're palpating is there may be a little bit of fullness on that joint line, and that's also a very common sign and symptom. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I also look to see if... uh, if this patient has some sort of a flexed knee posture when they're walking, if they do, that's usually secondary to an effusion. And remember, there are certain structures that cause effusion. You know, a popliteus tendon issue, a meniscal tear, and um, we'll, our cruciate ligament tears will cause an effusion, and chondral lesions will. So, you know, remember that um, if you see this patient with a flexed knee posture, oftentimes it's because that effusion is just putting that knee in that loose pack position and causing them to walk in that position. The other reason they like to walk in that flex knee posture is for stability. It's easier to contract the hamstrings and quads together to give that knee some stability. So remember that when you see those patients. Now, if a patient comes in and they have this medial meniscal or lateral meniscal pain and the knee is locked up, there's an effusion there, they're in a lot of discomfort and it is physically locked. Like you cannot mechanically extend it or flex it um, past a certain range. And sometimes you can traction the knee a little bit and it comes unlocked, but then locks again and they physically have to kind of unlock it. If you see a situation like that, they definitely need to go to ortho, um, have that x-rayed, MRI'd, and then, uh, you know, usually surgery to help fix, you know, that whatever issue there might be there. Now, remember, many people out there tear their menisci. Not all of them need to have surgery. And 15, 20 years ago, when I was practicing, even longer than that, everybody who had a meniscus tear had surgery and had a meniscectomy. Um, Oftentimes, the meniscus was completely meniscectomized, so completely removed. Um, When I had my meniscus injury, I had 60% of my meniscus removed, but that was 20 years ago. Now, what we are seeing is orthopedic surgeons are really migrating toward repairing that meniscus, if at all possible. If it's in the vascular zone, or if it's a root tear, there's a lot of um, information, a lot of research out there showing that the more meniscus you lose at an early age, the earlier you develop arthritis. And so it's, um, it's important that they get over to orthopedics and have that evaluated. But if somebody um, has a meniscus tear, they can certainly start therapy right away because, number one, we want to decrease effusion. Number two, we want to stop reflex inhibition. We want to stop that quad from shutting down. So it's very important that we try to develop some dynamic stability to the knee, but without agitating that meniscus, okay, or causing, um, you know, more tearing, more inflammation, more swelling, which will just kind of snowball into 
uh, more effusion and quad shutdown. So when I rehab people, when I suspect that they have a meniscus tear, I really like to focus on straight plane activities. Um, I may start with some open chain stuff. I might start with some stationary cycling, some uh, knee isometrics for flexion and extension, maybe on like a knee extension machine, and uh, then progress into some isotonic strengthening. And then I'll avoid pivoting activities. I'll work really hard on the gastroxoleus, uh, the hamstrings, if they can tolerate that, as long as they're, uh, it's not causing them more meniscal discomfort. Uh, and I'll do some multiple you know, hip-type activities. I really like to activate the glute med, glute max, and start to develop better leg control. And so if those people start to do better, the effusion settles down, the quad starts to get a little bit stronger, they're not limping as much, and uh, they're starting to function better, I will continue and progress in that manner, okay? The other thing I like to do with these folks is get them into a compression sleeve to help decrease that edema and that effusion. Uh, and the compression sleeve can also give some proprioceptive feedback, which is very, very important. So they might even feel more solid walking on that leg just by having a compression sleeve on. Okay. So if there is steady improvement, you continue to press ahead. But periodically, I like to functionally test them. So if they're a basketball player, soccer player, or whatever they might like to do, um, or maybe it's a hobby they like to do, and that seemed to have bothered them. Um, what I'll do is I will try to test them a little bit and have them do activities that are similar to those. If they flare up really easily, um, then we kind of progress toward getting an MRI and an orthopedic consult. Because if they do have a significant tear that needs to be repaired, um, that has to be done uh, at the right time. And, um, you know, we also talk to patients about if this is a meniscus tear or if we, if we highly suspect it and we think it's a meniscus tear, we, and they have to have surgery, there's a huge difference in regards to the recovery, okay? So if it's a simple meniscectomy, uh, the recovery is relatively quick, okay? They're weight-bearing right away. They're on two crutches for a day or two, maybe one crutch for a week. And then, you know, the quad's firing up, the swelling's going down, and things are really coming along nicely. And these folks will recover relatively easily. But if there is a meniscus tear involved or some sort of chondral lesion, uh, repairing these uh, can cause the patient to be non-weight bearing for four to six, sometimes eight weeks. Uh, and uh, there'll be significant atrophy, a slow progression back into weight bearing. And we could be looking at six months to a year of recovery after a meniscus repair. So I don't throw those expectations out to the patient as much as I used to when everybody had a meniscectomy. Um, now we talk about, you know, the possibility that it could be one over the other. Uh, but uh, that is kind of our progression on the typical meniscus tear patient um, who's had a knee injury. I hope that uh, you like today's podcast. And uh, again, I have uh, left a couple links to videos in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. One of them is a knee evaluation of a young lady who has a meniscus tear. And so um, check out how I do that. And uh, hopefully you pick up a few tips here and there to make your evaluation better. So um, I wish you all a great day. Be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.